0: Hi, everybody, it's Faisal here and I'm very, very pleased to have Councillor Scott Hamilton join us today. And Scott is going to talk to us a little bit about this initiative that he has mentioned uh, a while back about tiny homes and tiny houses in the city of Cambridge. Now we've all heard about this uh, initiative in Kitchener and I was very pleased to read about uh, Scott's Uh, plan on introducing this to Cambridge as well. But before we get into that, uh, I want to introduce Scott Hamilton. He is the councillor for Cambridge in Ward 7. Is that correct, uh, Scott? Yes, that's
1: correct. Lucky number
0: seven. Yes, absolutely. And I must say that, uh, you know, leading up to this talk today i I did a little bit of research on you and i was thoroughly impressed with uh with your background and uh, what you've achieved so i understand that you uh, received your master's at uh oxford university was it in uk yep that's correct and then um after that at the london school of economics you uh got your doctorate there
1: i did yep international relations
0: wonderful so you're dr hamilton
1: uh technically right but wow. uh don't That's ask me funny. for any medical
0: advice but sure please well you. you're a professor anyways so uh, <sighs> let's put it this way if you were in real estate there would be a billboard in cambridge saying all your credentials uh very impressive and you're a very impressive person from what i've read so thank you again for uh, joining me today well,
1: thanks, uh, Faisal. It's very kind of you, and I'm, I'm very grateful for the in- invitation, and uh, I'm excited to
0: talk about this, so I That's appreciate good. it. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. So let's just dive right into this. So Tiny Houses um, and Tiny Homes Initiative. Uh, tell us, tell me a little bit about what your your vision is on this, and where you see this going for, for our community here in Cambridge.
1: Sure. Uh, well, I guess it all started um, years back. You mentioned my master's um, and my previous education, and that was in Europe. And the nature of housing over there, because of its history and the length of time people have been living there and the changing nature of cities over there, it was just different. Um, so when my wife and I lived there, we just noticed everything was a bit smaller. Everything was more condensed and there were different feels of feelings of community, different modes of transportation. Um, we thought, this is great. You know, It might be a bit smaller, especially in the UK. It was different, but um, it was great. And so we came back to Canada um, and life takes different twists and turns as it does. And I got more into politics and municipal politics. And that's when I started noticing different articles about um, tiny homes or container units or modular homes or laneway housing. And it reminded me a lot of the spaces that I saw uh, in Europe and that sometimes I would live in in Europe and thought, even though Canada is different, geographically we're more, um, we're, we're bigger, we're more expansive, I'd say we're more car dependent. Uh, there's no reason why we can't start making those changes in the ways we live here in Cambridge. And so when I ran in the by-election for Ward 7, um, I started talking on doorsteps with lots of residents about this. And everyone from social workers to, to realtors um, to residents in general thought, this is a, a really fantastic, you know, pretty cool initiative to get more housing on the market, to create some excitement about the ways that we live. Uh, and to enact what could be a transformational or systemic change in the way that we consider uh, how we how we house ourselves and how we live. And so I thought the best way to do this, you know, it's, it's measure twice and cut once, uh, was to bring a motion to council saying, let's really start looking at this seriously. Let's look at the benefits, the pitfalls, the practicalities, the regulations. Let's look at other places where they try to enact tiny homes and, and similar initiatives see what's worked, see what hasn't, and see how we can start implementing this in Cambridge. Because I think it's a a very important way to go forward for our community.
0: Absolutely. Now, are you finding uh, support by other council members, uh, generally speaking?
1: Yeah, actually, generally speaking, for sure. Um, Because I think in Cambridge, Canada generally, um, we've seen an incredible rise in, in housing prices. Uh, i'm sure your podcast is well listened to by realtors so i don't have to dive into the, the nature of the real estate market um, but the demand for housing has been quite substantial and i think uh, i'm gonna butcher the quote but i think it was mark twain that said you know they they ain't making any more land and they're not and so we need to find new creative ways of dealing with the spaces we have um, which i think tiny homes modular homes laneway houses do very well and so counselors Recognize this, affordable housing has been an issue in Waterloo Region for quite some time now. Uh, and as Kitchener is kind of showing, uh, there's some some movement now to consider alternative ways of living that maybe in the past there wasn't, but now that need is recognized and um, the path is being cut through the jungle, so to speak.
0: Great. So now let's look at the parameters. Um, where do you see these tiny homes evolving? Do you see them in typical subdivisions, on typical lots, in typical neighborhoods or do you envision this in certain areas of, of, of Cambridge? Uh, what's your sort of take on where you would see these tiny homes?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think when someone thinks of a, a tiny home, uh, any type of detractor, you know, uh, or someone who's kind of opposed to the idea imagines like thousands of tiny homes clustered together in some kind of a chaotic mess with garbage strewn about and kind of disorder and and that's exactly what, uh, what we should avoid and why uh, I'm, I'm bringing forward uh, a motion for staff to report back on this in terms of how to avoid getting any type of negative space like that constructed in the future. So I wanna get that out of the way. Um, that's exactly what we need to, the, those risks we need to mitigate right now. We need to take care of them. My vision for tiny homes is um, if your lot is big enough, if it fits the parameters that make it safe, comfortable, clean, Um, a dwelling that someone can be proud to reside in, then that can fit in a variety of spaces. So if we look at Kitchener, for example, I think there were, um, I forget how many, 74,000 or or 56,000 potential uh, lots, and I think 25,000 of them were viable um, for the tiny homes that they're proposing. Out of those 25,000, how many people actually do it? Um, Who knows? Odds are not all of them. So if you look at a place in Cambridge, I would say if your lot, uh, the setbacks are big enough, if it's wide enough, uh, if the regulations allow it. So again, it's safe, it's clean, it's not gonna be a disturbance for neighbors. Um, It could maybe be in a a classic residential property. Obviously, the larger the acreage, um, the more the probability that a home uh, could fit. But uh, again, if it's a smaller yard, um, if it fits, Uh, and it works in that neighborhood, then I think we can go for it. And we can look at uh, cities in Europe where they've had housing like that for decades and even centuries, uh, and they've made it work very well. Um, So residential, it could work. It'd be a great way to not only have a rental, uh, but also have a place to put, (laughs) if there's millennials that can't get into the housing market, if there's aging parents, um, it'd be a great place to have a detached unit. if there was a tiny home, let's say community, that could be a great way to, again, I'm just kind of freestyling here, but that, that would be a great way, I think, to alleviate some of the pressures we see on affordable housing, uh, issues we see in terms of um, just getting a roof over the heads of people that need it. Um, so imagine an empty lot, for example, right now, if it of road, what if there could be 50 or 60 modular homes or tiny homes there that had a street, that had electrical and sewage, um, a great living space, but they're smaller, they're faster to build, they're easier to use, easier to maintain, fewer materials go into them, the cost is less, the maintenance is less. Uh, So it could possibly be a small community. Uh, It could be individualized units in people's yards. Um, Whatever could work, I'm open to, but that's exactly why right now we need to reach out, look at best practices, get those reports, see what has worked where and what hasn't, uh,
0: and see what's gonna fit Cambridge best. so, you know, in all communities, including Cambridge, there's there's always been this attitude of not in my backyard, right? And we've all felt that at some point or another, uh, even if a neighbor's building a garage or something, it's like, I don't want to see that. Uh, I want to cover that up, or I don't want them to have that, in my, in, 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 that close proximity to my home. Um, do you feel that maybe... Looking at tiny homes is, is an option now with a, a provincial mandate of a higher intensity, uh, or a higher density intensification um, that perhaps the rule should be changed on in allowing more dense neighborhoods just regular development so it makes it more affordable because a tiny home per se is going to be very beneficial for a homeowner to add a auxiliary unit to their property which now could become an investment now are we not just creating a situation where a homeowner is now going to say well instead of putting an in-law suite or maybe I've already got an in-law suite, which I'm renting out. Um, I'll also put an additional tiny home on my property. Property. I'm going to now rent that out. Are we really solving the problem of, that we hear about every day saying, affordable housing isn't there, young people are unable to purchase homes. Um, are we just creating this vicious cycle where the homeowners are gonna benefit, but it's not really gonna be a relief for first-time home buyers because they're still not gonna be able to find a home. So if the city was to look at lands and say, okay, here's here's a 50-foot lot where, where normally we would only allow a single detached dwelling, but maybe we will allow um, three 16-foot wide um, townhomes uh, or a stack unit. To be in that same lot so just creating that intensification that higher density development on on less square footage or less lot frontage is that not a more affordable way for someone to enter home ownership and not create more of that uh, profit center really because let's put it this way those who own a home could leverage their asset refinance their home, uh, get the necessary funds out of their home to build a tiny home and then charge 15 or $1,800 a month rent. How is that solving the problem for people who are trying to buy their first home?
1: Mm -hmm. I think um, that would be a problem if the number of tiny homes was, I think, fairly few, right? I mean, I'm not not an economist by any means, but I think the nature of the home prices right now is just a lack of supply. So if we were to get more homes, more rental units on the market with more availability, and if they're quality, then that should hopefully depress the price because consumers are gonna have more choice. They're gonna have more alternatives and anyone who's charging too much, um, consumers have the options to go elsewhere. I completely agree that um, in a city like Cambridge, we're growing fast, we're growing rapidly. We can't necessarily grow out. We've got to grow up. Uh, We've got to densify. We've got to intensify and we've got to do it properly. What I, the gap I think tiny homes can fill is, again, you know, if they ain't making any more land, we can embrace a lot of those lands that we already have, empty space, um, and we can provide not just a home for a family member or for a millennial, but a rental space for maybe a student uh, or someone in need to help start uh, to to depress those prices and hopefully um, solve some of the solutions for that kind of missing middle that we hear about so often. In terms of change, you know, I couldn't agree more. the difficulty with change is everyone says, we need change, we want change. But when the possibility for change is usually presented, what is always in the fine print is that it entails risk and uncertainty. So if you really want change, you have to accept the possibility that things might go wrong and they can, because they're going to be different. And so that's why, again, right now, we got to do our research. We've got to get that report in, We've got to find where this has worked and where it hasn't in order to mitigate those risks and those uncertainties as much as we possibly can. Um, But I think I've always said there are three certainties in life, right? There's death, there's taxes, and there's change. And if we want to address the affordable housing crisis that we are experiencing right now in Cambridge, we've got to do things differently. And I think with tiny homes, they're, they're progressive, you know, they're, they're doable. We can use local materials, local manufacturers. It can be a very kind of homegrown local solution. And, um, in order to address the change issue. And I think this ties into not only real estate, uh, the desirability of the community, but also the local economy. It's like, people want to live in a cool place. Like no one wants to go move to a city where they say, oh, they're stuck in the past, they're doing things backwards. Um, no, it's like, you want to go to a place that feels like, well, oh, they've got a good vibe, they've got good things going, they're willing to try new solutions to old problems. And they're getting good results because of that. That's a place I want to go to and my kids will probably want to, want to stay in when they get older. And so that's something that I think tiny homes and alternative modes of housing really have the potential to do for our cities and others. Just create that vibe of like, wow, this is a good community. And this is really creative and it's fun um, and it's practical. um, And it's a great solution to uh, an issue right now. It's just, it's hitting Canada really hard and it's immensely difficult uh, for a wide variety of people in our society. Uh, So I know that's a, a kind of a wide sweeping answer to your question. Uh, no one is going to know the difficulties of real estate parameters better than realtors. And that's exactly why. Uh, please reach out to to us, to Kitchener, uh, to staff, and let us know your concerns right now, because we'll be able to start addressing those on paper uh, before in the future, you know, we, we, we build them and they're entrenched in communities. So if you have any questions, concerns uh, to anyone out there who's listening, let us know. Now's the time. Please reach out.
0: So, so to that, um, my concern now on the development side, I, I do some development and I work with uh, developers and builders. Uh, and this has often been uh, you know, a point of contention where servicing capacity So you take certain areas of the city of Cambridge uh, and they're at capacity, sewage is at capacity, water is at capacity, services are at capacity. So there's the infrastructure is not there to allow further development. I'm dealing with the development currently on Myers Road where the servicing capacity at where ideally I would like to have my services, um, the capacity just isn't there or and and there's a challenge in getting more sewage capacities that therefore I need to now extend my services way further away adding more costs which makes my development less viable why are we not going to create a larger problem here and is that not going to stop developers from proceeding with their developments if we start adding tiny homes now taking up more capacity um that's option you know that's one concern that I have the other the other concern or comment I should say that I have is there are a lot of land a lot of lots in Cambridge where someone has an 80 foot frontage they're only built on the on the you know the one side of it at 40 feet there's a severable lot there yet the zoning doesn't Permitted And there's hoops that people have to go through to be able to get that. Why not allow that intensification to occur on existing dwellings by not just looking at tiny homes, I fully agree there, there is a place for it. Uh, I'm not sure that having it in every backyard is a good idea. Uh, but if the lot permits a tiny home or if it's wide enough to permit a tiny home, is it not wide enough or or the area is not great enough to allow a severance because a severance now gives the homeowner the ability to cash out some funds and create an affordable building lot for let's say a first time home buyer that wants to come in and build their, you know, like, like in the old days, they used to have those story and a half wartime homes that were built all over the west end of Galt. And, um, you know, something like that could be built just adjacent to an existing lot. So if we look at becoming more development friendly, and creating, I understand the need to go up. But I still feel that there's, there's land area available to go wide within subdivisions and allowing severances and allowing that density to occur on existing lots. So I think this should coincide with the tiny home mandate to see what lots are out there that have the width available to have frontage on the street. Um, Because the other challenge we're going to have here is even from a real estate perspective, I'll speak, you rent out a tiny home in your backyard. Uh, Now you have to abide by the Landlord Tenant Act. Uh, If you're to sell your home, does the next purchaser assume the existing tenant in the tiny home? Is that tiny home occupant going to be displaced or evicted because the next buyer doesn't want that? Do we only allow multi-generational families to have tiny homes or do we allow it to become a profit center for an investor who owns an investment property on a large lot and says well I'll add a tiny home to the back of that instead of getting $2,500 a month rent, now I'm going to add another $1,500 a month rent." are we creating a problem here uh, for first-time home buyers and renters anyways by creating more units because we know there's a shortage of rental units as well so there's a lot of questions that I have Uh, Pertaining to this and uh, I think you answered one of my questions is like, you know, are we going to turn subdivisions into shanties and have these villages uh, pop up because everyone's going to be just creating these tiny homes in their backyard so uh, are there is there a requirement of square footage. um, uh, Accessibility, how does a, a fire engine get to it, how does an ambulance get to it, are these all things that are being considered.
1: Yeah, no, those are a a variety of great points. And I I think we see eye to eye on a lot of them. Um, Just touching on your last one. um, That's, again, a a great question that we're trying to figure out, right? What are the the safety issues? What what are, in terms of fire access, would we require smaller fire engines to navigate certain streets? Um, Those are huge questions. Um, And I I don't think that... um, the construction of tiny homes will necessarily be a detriment to the extent that they'll create some type of a shanty town where we'll have to readjust our police and fire and ambulance services to accommodate um, just because they provide a viable option, I think, for a lot of families and a lot of homes, but not, not necessarily uh, one that every single person will implement, right? So if you look at homes that we have right now, how many homes have pools? How many have a shed? How many families out there, and how many residences in Cambridge would say, I want to put this in my backyard. I want to rent it out. I want to use it as basically a a means of income um, to supplement my mortgage. Some certainly might, but whether or not all would, um, I sincerely doubt that. And those that would. So I would need to make sure that the proper regulations and procedures are put into place where it is safe. It's not going to be a detriment to the neighborhood. Uh, it is going to be something that fits into that field, that neighborhood kind of community um, that I think you described. In terms of uh, the frontage of lots and severance, um, that's a great question. That's that's more for the planning and development department than my, uh, than myself right now. Uh, but it's something I think we'll, we will have to consider and we'll have to think about it. And I'm not necessarily pro or against, I need to actually look into it. Um, but I think areas like Cambridge, What's hitting our community right now is just the nature of of a changing use of land Um, in a country like Canada, where previously we were a series of small towns and villages. um, We had larger lots, in a way larger homes, and now we're seeing the kind of condensation and the push from cities like Toronto and the GTA. Essentially, we're getting a lot more people living in our area, uh, bringing a lot more money, but again, we're not making any more land. So what do we do where we put someone? If we have to sever lands and plots like that, if, if that's what's required, and again, it's done safely, it's done so that it's not um, in an exploitative fashion by any type of an owner, it's going to be to the detriment of any community members or any any renters for that matter, then it's something that's, that could be viable that the city could pursue. And you mentioned that, again, that's, that is an absolute danger of tiny homes. Um, but I think it's a danger of any rental unit, as probably any landlord will tell you. If you have any, anything that you're renting, if it's a car or an apartment, you can have a tenant that's going to treat it well and maintain it. And it's going to be a wonderful relationship for all parties involved. Or you can have one person that exploits the other um, and doesn't abide by the mode of the contract or tr- basically treats it like garbage and it creates a whole issue. Um, right? We have model tenants that I'm sure uh, come to mind and we have, we have horrible stories that come to mind as well. So again, it's a process of making sure that if this is something that's brought in uh, to Cambridge, as we'll probably see it be rolled out in Kitchener and, and places like Brant and Brantford, I think they're exploring these options. How can we implement them so that we, we roll them out to the benefit of the community, to the benefit of someone who is renting it out uh, and that person living in that unit, compared to something where the potential for exploiting it in a negative fashion is reduced substantially. Yeah, And it's the nature of any type of change, right? Uh, Any type of change, you're going to have speed bumps. You're going to have bumps in the road. So I think we have to be open to saying, how do we resolve these and fix them as quickly as we can? So again, make it safe, clean, um, enjoyable. Um, (laughs) It's tough looking into the crystal ball, but I think we have a need for it. We have the materials, we have the space, we have the potential, and, and we have to try to do something because you mentioned, the danger in Cambridge of, of kind of the, uh, the nimbyism, right? The not in my backyard, which, which we've seen in the past. And sometimes it can be for very justified reasons. And other times it's simply because people don't want change. The only way we overcome that is by taking action and doing something new and learning as much as we can to mitigate all the risks and pitfalls. But will we have a flawless, perfect rollout that makes no mistakes, uh, Probably not, and that's life. So the key is understanding uh, how do we foresee any potential issues, resolve them before they start, and then once they come up, uh, what are the mechanisms in place to fix them as soon as they arise? Uh, But you bring up some great points there. I'm sorry, I don't have answers for all of them.
0: No, 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 this is great. And that's why I want to sort of exchange some ideas here. Um, So let's be, you you mentioned materials a few times. So let's talk about materials. We have a great challenge right now with getting materials, like right down to getting a two by four or a four by eight sheet of plywood. So material has been a big challenge. Uh, Cost of material has been prohibitive for construction. In fact, many developers have shelved their ideas of developing, which is, again, causing Higher demand in the existing housing market, which is causing this this valuation to just go absolutely crazy, um, because we can't build affordable housing right now at three times lumber prices and steel prices. And I know projects personally that we were involved in that we have had to uh, just defer for the next two years until uh, we see the cost of materials come down. So. for one to want to even build a tiny home in the next year or two years it looks like there's going to be some challenge and there's going to be cost and of course that money's got to come from somewhere so that's one concern that i have so what are the materials going to be are they going to be shipping containers is that going to be something that we could we would expect to see or are there going to be um you know policies in place where the materials must must match the existing dwelling um, so that it doesn't look completely oddball in, in someone's backyard. What is the size going to be of this dwelling? I, I believe that Kitchener has um, a 350 square footish ish requirement, uh, including a bathroom. Um, how many occupants will be allowed? In that dwelling, uh, you know, are we going to limit it to one or two occupants uh, or could we potentially see a family living in in a tiny home. So those are all things I guess that uh, a lot of people that I've spoken to have had questions and concerns about as I have, um, I know that even do we, we do we look at have have you used your home efficiently in a way where you've allowed um, the room for an accessory unit within the house before you go out and put a tiny home in the back? Uh, have you put the in-law suite in? Have you done all of those other things? Um, is it going to be restricted to owner-occupant only that can have a tiny home to avoid investors from all of a sudden saying, great, I have 12 rental properties, now I'm going to have 12 tiny homes as a revenue source. So are these all things that we're discussing? And again, I say this. In one way, I'm concerned. In another way, my investor hat is on saying, wow, this could be great for my investors. But is it great for the community? So we have to look at the balance here.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I I could not agree more. I mean, those are fantastic questions. I I couldn't answer all of them, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, But uh, that's exactly why, again, this is the measure. Measure twice, cut once. This is the first measurement in terms of those questions should be answered in an upcoming report. Um, a lot of them, I think, will be due uh, to taste, um, as odd as it sounds, especially in terms of size, the nature of a family. I know I've had some people that have expressed to me, well, tiny homes, you're going to have a whole bunch of stuff piled outside because there's no room. And then you can drive around anywhere in Cambridge. Like, Look at some of the larger homes in West Gulf. and they have two car garages. The cars are outside, and the, car, the garages are full of stuff. And you know, there's two by fours lying around from the back deck that they built two years ago. And it's like, and then you go to smaller homes and they're pristine and they're immaculate. And so I think it's ultimately, you know, tiny homes aren't going to be forced down people's throats per se. I think it's going to be a very personal choice as to whether or not someone says, I can live in a space that's that large. You know, it's almost like uh, when I was a university student saying, I'm going to live in this bachelor flat. Because it's small, it's one big room with a bathroom attached, but you just say, okay, how can I do this? Like, where can I store my bike if I can own one? Um, How many people can live? There's a great question, right? You read lots of articles online where you have typically it's a a couple and a baby. Uh, I don't know if you're going to have five people in a home that size. Um, Whether or not that's possible, probably. Whether or not that's going to be legal. uh, Again, that's something where I think we're going to have to get those new Uh, bylaws, those new regulations set into place. So again, the key is just safety and health because there are certain, I think, intangible qualities of living in a a house like that. It's gonna be up to the resident themselves to say, yep, I can live in one room and two or three people might be okay. And uh, we all know one or two of our friends that say, no, I want a giant, you know, 3,000 square foot home, even though I live by myself and I need a four car garage or something. Um, And I say this as someone that has no basement and no garage and two kids. And we have had to adjust pretty quickly uh, to our lack of space. Um, And we have. uh, And, you know, in terms of things like appearance and size, um, that's always a difficult question because uh, it's all over the map, right? I mean, you don't want to say the government's going to regulate taste because it can't, right? I mean, we're not Amsterdam, as odd as it sounds. Amsterdam, all the houses look the same because the exterior is regulated by the government. So if you own a a home in Amsterdam, you can't do anything to the outside. Um, That's why they all kind of look uniform. like Oh, I
0: didn't know that, that's interesting.
1: It's a beautiful city, by the way. It's one of my favorite in Europe. But um, So I don't think we're gonna go that far, but that's a great question. The appearance of the home, the height. I think uh, a lot of it will be due to the, the manufacturer specifications, the amount of room that we have on the yard um, and what people want to do with them as well. Because I think a huge aspect of this is that, uh, and I, I do share your concerns about it, and this is absolutely what we need to focus on in the trench to, again, make them safe, affordable, uh, enjoyable for the whole neighborhood. But I think we also have to focus on the positive components too, is what can we do with them? What can they look like? You know, what are the possibilities? What are the new ways of of using space that we've we've taken for granted that we can now start thinking about anew? You know, uh, if you were to put a home in, a tiny home in your backyard, how could you make it fit? You know, in terms of, you mentioned things like uh, waste, electricity, well, would we focus more on an environmental green bin? So would we have, you know, sewage systems that are easily disposable? Uh, Would we have solar power? What would we do with water and rainwater collection? Like what are the ways of designing and living that we've kind of taken for granted in the homes that we have right now, that we can actually use tiny homes as kind of a catapult or a way of thinking uh, in new ways about, um, about our world and the way, way we live. Cause I think that, uh, and, I'll, and I'll kind of end on this. Um, we do live in a, a kind of society right now. that's very materialistic. It's based on consumption. It's based on growth. And I think what tiny homes are so jarring, because they kind of force us to put a stop to that in many ways. It's if you have one of these houses, it's a roof over your head. It, it can be yours, rental or owned, um, but you have to stop that that cycle of consumption and material acquisition that I think so much of our lives have been kind of based on. So it's not just a, a physical housing challenge, it's a mental one, it's, it's a change of who we are as a society and as a culture. And that's why I think it's, it's transformational. I know Kitchener uh, has called it a gentle form of intensification. Um, and yeah, I think uh, the challenges you've raised are, are completely accurate and I think we need to answer those very slowly and carefully uh, and solve them on paper before we see them kind of develop and materialize in reality.
0: Scott, one last thing I want to ask you. Why tiny homes only? Why why have a maximum square footage or footprint of say 350 square feet? How about this as, as, as a point? I have elderly parents or someone may have children living in other homes. Why not free up those homes? Um, Many, many of my clients over the last 30 years are now in their 70s. They have children that have homes that have large lots. Why not allow them to build a nice 1200 square foot bungalow if the land permits on their existing property, If i'm sitting on an acre lot I have plenty of land on my property to build my parents an 11 or 1200 square foot bungalow. As opposed to forcing them into a 350 square foot tiny home where they will disown me if I put them in there, so why not put them into something that's reasonable that they can be comfortable in um, and that frees up those real estate properties allows multi-generational living we can care for our parents our, or the or parents can give their kids a first start by giving them a decent home to live in on their own property so why limit it to a maximum square footage of 350 if the land permits why not allow something larger
1: yeah I think that's a great point like I know um, Kitchener's uh, I think they go up to maybe 800 square feet Um, And that's something I think that we should be flexible on, because the size of the the home should be dependent on the lot size, the width, the setback, and all those kind of specifics. Just like if you're building an addition to your home, it's going to be limited in certain ways, you know, distance to the fence, and setbacks from the street, and that kind of thing. So the tiny home, I think we have to accept a certain amount of flexibility and malleability in terms of how we approach it, how we build it, um, how we design it, how it's situated in our yard. And I think that's going to be both the the double-edged sword. It's going to be the challenge because they all might be a little bit different, but it's also where create a bit of the coolness and the excitement and the uniqueness that makes communities and neighborhoods very special, you know? So I think it it will be um, one of those things that can change and shift depending on the lot, depending on the land, um, depending on the parents as well and what they're comfortable with. But one thing that I've realized since I've started kind of, going down the the tiny home route more and more is that everyone when you say tiny home has an image in their mind of what a tiny home is but then when you get everyone talking everyone's image is different right so even though we're talking about tiny homes and container units we're probably talking about similar but somewhat different things uh and that's the same thing when this goes out and it's read in newspapers and, and people talk about it online and it's on tv they're always similar but different and i think now we're in that process of let's say just having these conversations, figuring out what the heck are we actually talking about when we mention tiny home? What can we actually do with them? Um, how can they actually be built? And I think once we start getting these conversations going more and more and more, and we actually start engaging and talking about the exact same thing, that's when we're gonna see a lot of these regulations fall into place, the rules fall into place, neighborhoods can become more accepting over time uh, as they have with other social changes we've seen. Uh, and we can hopefully get a lot more rules over people's heads in the future than we have
0: in the past. Yeah, I think the term tiny home, uh, you know, it can sort of get that image going. It's almost like, you know, calling an accessory home or auxiliary home or something, an additional home and and not limiting it so much to uh, I I wasn't aware that Kitchener had uh, up to 800 square feet. The last I heard it was just under 350 or 400 square feet. So it's interesting that if they would allow the 800, that's certainly a a reasonable size size home for even up to two bedrooms and a bathroom. A lot of condos are 800 square feet and they're quite reasonably uh, built. So that would be fantastic to look at the options of given the lot area. To let that determine up to a certain size, uh, the type of dwelling that could be built there and certainly again, we have to always come back to capacity issues of sewage and uh, services because that will, uh, we don't want existing residents uh, to suffer uh, as a result of not being able to have those services, um, you know, take in the capacity. I'll have
1: to double check the Cambridge numbers or sorry, the Kitchener numbers, just to make sure So put an asterisk on that right now. Okay. But, uh, cool. but yeah, I think the, my, my point is the, that those numbers should be able to shift and change depending on the land that's being used and depending on uh, a variety of different factors that again, make it safe, make it habitable and then fit the neighborhood. And I think fit is key. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do agree that you know what's tiny is relative. Right. And what what is a tiny home to some um, in our community is a massive home for others. Of course, what I think
0: I do part. believe I do believe that from a real estate perspective, we could free up a lot of properties if the parameters around the accessory home or the additional home are not so stringent to be limited to a maximum size. Again, lot permitting. So if someone's got a double lot, if someone's got an acre, perhaps let them have a larger home where they can get their elderly parents out of their 3000 square foot, two story home and bring them into a bungalow that they could build for them. Or if a young family is forced um, or a young couple is forced to move out of their mom and dad's house because they're getting married and and they want to start a family, uh, perhaps the option is instead of going out and having to buy another home, they could have that right on the existing property so I think that will free up a lot of this issue and that will create more housing um, for that family which now leaves it open for other families let's face it um what is the number 300,000 new immigrants coming into Canada every year about half of those come into Ontario where are these people going to live we've got to create more housing. So if we can create more housing internally for uh, your your relatives that are living with you or near you, then I think yeah. that opens that up and it also allows more development at an affordable rate. So those are just some of my thoughts on that.
1: No, absolutely. You know, and I think um, it, it ties into larger conversations that I think, again, the, the community, you could say community of realtors needs to have uh, with politicians, uh, with residents, but, what we're looking at right now, I think you mentioned the amount of immigrants coming into Canada, the amount, the cost of housing right now. Um, To me, it's a fundamental shift in the way that we have to live as Canadians. I think we all are kind of stuck in that classic post-war mentality. You have your lot, you have your suburban home, everyone goes out and mows their lawn, right? And it's kind of like the leave it to beaver style housing situation. And that bubble, I think, is bursting. It, it lasted a little while with very specific economic modes of growth that affected the world in a certain way. And now that, call it globalization or whatever, but in many ways, that wave is, is broken and rolled back. And so now we're going to have to readjust, I think, the way that we house ourselves and our families um, going forth. And if, if we have smaller homes to live in, uh, you could say on smaller lots, should we not be focusing more on community building on having really cool places to go? So it's like, instead of being contained in your own, you could say like one acre plot, maybe that's divided up into a series of different homes or domiciles, but there's greater kind of community connection elsewhere, right? Like, so you go to Europe and and my wife is half Italian and her mom is Italian. And her little town is called um, Villa Vallelonga up in, uh, up in Abruzzo, up in the mountains. And everyone just talks about going, you go to the piazza and everyone's house is pretty small (laughs) but everyone goes to the center of town and you hang out and you know you have your markets, you have your fountains. and It's just a very cool communal space where it's like automatic. Why would you stay in your house when you can go be part of a community in an area like that? And I think that's the shift that um, a town like Cambridge can make in the future um, where we have more of those cool community areas and spaces that people want to go to. It's very appealing. Uh, you go home, it's a place to eat and sleep. Right. Everyone needs their privacy, but it's maybe not the the castle or the fortress that we've all uh, we, we were all convinced was what we should have for a fully functioning part of kind of Western society. And so I don't want to get off on like a full philosophical ramble or, or tangent about it, but call it tiny homes, call it laneway housing, call it um, you know modular housing or whatever. But it's a, it's a different way to live that's responding to a very challenging circumstance. And I think we have to put pressure on other levels of government. Um, other other members of the community to say if this is the way we are going to live what are we going to do how are we going to play uh, how are we going to enjoy the community because I think they're all kind of tied together in, in this weird ecosystem uh, that we call life uh, so you yeah, asked yeah. about my vision for Cambridge at the start and that's That's a part of it because tiny homes aren't going to be enjoyable if when you leave your tiny home there's no place to go and there's nothing interesting to do there's no bike paths or restaurants or or village squares or piazzas so that to me is an integral part of it that i think uh,
0: we can all push and work towards yes so uh, scott do you see or foresee any sort of government grants or programs or uh municipal breaks coming down the pipeline where you know development charges permit fees um connection charges that that people would have an incentive to um you know look at this as an option do you see is that part of the discussion that council is going to have that's a great question actually
1: um i'm honestly not sure so i don't want to give any you know um, false information but it's certainly something that uh You ask me and that's a question I'll ask of staff. And that's exactly why we're at this point of writing writing these reports and doing the research because that's a great question. I don't know the answer, but the answer hopefully will be or something close to it can be in that upcoming report. So uh, with this question and the ones you asked me previously, if you or any of your colleagues have suggestions, questions, concerns, again, now's the time to bring them forth.
0: Uh, Where can people reach them. out to ask these questions? Is there an email? Is there something that uh, somewhere that they can reach out to ask their questions or, or voice their concerns? That's
1: a, a great call. You can either check out the City of Cambridge website, um, you can email the planning department as well. Uh, or you can email myself, again, it's Scott Hamilton, uh, City Councillor of Ward 7, and my email is hamiltons at cambridge.ca, so hamiltons at cambridge.ca. Uh, and I may not be able to answer your question, but I'll definitely forward it along to staff who will be able to do the research and hopefully include an answer for you in that report. Uh, Cause it is, it's an important issue. And, you know, I, I, I'm the kind of guy where it's like, if there's something with my car, I go to the mechanic, you know, if my, something wrong with my teeth, go to the dentist. If there's something with land and property and real estate, you should ask people that <laughs> the realtors, you should ask people that deal with this day in day out for years and decades. So, uh, if you and your colleagues have suggestions and concerns and ideas, uh, please bring them forward and uh, let's, let's try and make the change uh, a very positive one.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, so my guest today is uh, Councillor Scott Hamilton. Thank you so much for your insights. Thank you for the amazing value that you're bringing into our community and all the great work that you're doing. We're really looking forward to seeing all the good things that you do for us moving forward. And I really appreciate you uh, coming on to the show today and uh, voicing your opinions on this as well. Thank you so much, Scott.
1: Thank you very much for the invitation, Faisal. I really appreciate your time. I had a lot of fun, so thanks. My pleasure, my pleasure.